So the Lord has given us his holy word and we're going to open it up this morning so that we can uh, seek to know him better, so that we can seek to know ourselves better, so that we can uh, learn better to follow our Lord uh, like we are called to do. And so if you will, head over to Luke chapter 9 this morning. We're finally going to finish this chapter. We've been here since, what, the second week of August. Um, <clears throat> so, we're headed there. And, and as we're, we're going there, I want you to understand that today, beginning in our passage, uh, Jesus begins this journey to Jerusalem. It's this journey that, that took him uh, many months. It goes through many towns, many villages, where he's preaching the word along the way, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, and, and so we're going to be in that for a little while in, in Luke. And, and here's the way Luke is. Um, you know how Lord of the Rings has, it's on DVD, and you can get Lord of the Rings. Or you can also get the extended edition Lord of the Rings on DVD? Well, Luke is more like the extended edition compared to the other gospel writers. He, he spends 10 chapters on this journey of Jesus from where he's at right now all the way into the city of Jerusalem, uh, and they're awesome. They are fantastic, right? Uh, so uh, we can look forward to that, uh, but today we're beginning that journey. It's the first step in that direction, and we're going to be starting in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9. Uh, follow along as I read. And we're going to read it in sections today. So uh, just the first story to begin with, and we'll read the others later. Verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered the, a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that your word uncovers our hearts, the way it reveals our struggles, our temptations, the, the sins we are drawn to. Lord, would you today supernaturally illuminate our minds to truly hear your word, to understand it, believe it, to, to live different because of your word for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, the time's come for Jesus to be taken up upon the cross, to be taken up from the grave eventually, to be taken up to, to sit beside God the Father ultimately. And our, our text here says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And with those words, we're seeing this, this commitment to the covenant of redemption, this eternal plan of God's always right to save his people. And Jesus is moving in that direction. And with this, we also see Jesus having gone from place to place to, to suddenly having this narrow focus of, of one particular destination he's headed to. It's, it's kind of like if you're on vacation and you're driving around the city and you're looking at it and, and taking things in. And then suddenly, you know you want to go somewhere, so you put it in your GPS, right? From that point on, every turn, every left, every right is, is getting you closer to the destination as, as you work that way. And that's what's going to be going on here. Not that Jesus had GPS, Right? But that's the direction he's going. And, and, and so to understand this, Samaria is not out of the way like it might sound when you first read that. They're up north and they're going to travel through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. And they're traveling in this large group. And so he, he sends some people ahead. Right, Go arrange for us to have a place to sleep so we have food to eat before we all, all get there. Just get it in order. Because 
This is the way the world was before we had VRBO or, or Hotels.com. This is the way you had to actually plan these things. And so the, these messengers of Jesus would, would have gone and said something like this. Hey, we're on our way to Jerusalem and we need a place to stay and we need some food. What do, what do you have for us? And, and the text tells us that real quickly the Samaritans reject the Jews traveling with Jesus and you kind of wonder, well, why, right? Um, it says there, because Jesus' face was set toward Jerusalem. Here's, here's what's going on, though. For, for much of the Old Testament period, Jerusalem is the only place that Jewish people would go to worship God. But, but after King Solomon died, that the kingdom splits into these two kingdoms. You have the, the North Israel and the South Israel, right? The two kingdoms there. Um, and, and the kingdom, the northern kingdom, the king didn't want his people to be going into the south kingdom to go worship God in Jerusalem because he feared that uh, people would, would cha- change their political affiliation, right? Uh, that they would, probably not affiliation, but their, their loyalty to him is basically what we're getting at here. And, and so he says, look, we're going to set up this other place to worship God. And so, you know, for the northern kingdom, they began to worship God on Mount uh, Gerizim, and, and that's in Samaria. And so by this point in history, the, the Samaritans strongly believe this mountain is where we worship God. You don't need to go to Jerusalem for that, right? And, and they're kind of bitter and offended and, and, and put off when people come through town on their way to Jerusalem because they're thinking, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. It's an offense to them. So the last thing they want to do is help anybody trying to get to Jerusalem. And, and, and so there's animosity there, right? And to be fair, the animosity, the, the hatred goes both ways because the, the Jews also hated the Samaritans just as strongly. They, they considered them uh, half-breeds, right? Half-bloods, if you will. Because in the past, they had disobediently intermarried with pagan, pagan uh, uh, nations. And so now they, they don't even see them as, as fully uh, Jewish in that regard. So the Samaritans refused to offer their assistance. And we find in this moment that, that just like there was no room for Jesus in the end of it, at his birth, there is no room in Samaria for Jesus on this day. And so then James and John, right? What are they called? Do you remember their nickname? The Sons of Thunder, right? These two guys naturally kind of hate the Samaritans. It's built into their culture. You combine that with this frustration that they've just been rejected by these people, um, right? And and then you just add into there this good-hearted zeal for Jesus. And and what we get is is something a bit like a a cage-stage Calvinist. And if you don't know what that means... Congratulations, you are living well. Um, I'll tell you later if you don't know. Anyway, uh, you, you, you can't really make this stuff up, right? What, what the way they're going to respond here. You, you look at verse 45, or 54, and what do they say to Jesus? Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? It's the weirdest request I think ever made of Jesus right there. You kind of get the sense that they're trigger happy too. Like, please say yes. Please say yes. We, we've been wanting to do it. We we're talking about it. We want to do this. We so want to do this. And, and, and now this request might sound like it's completely out of left field. It, it's really not though. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter, nine, or chapter 1 verses 9 through 12, we, we learn about God's prophet Elijah, right? We've been hearing about him all through Israel, right? Elijah is this great prophet of the Lord. And, and Elijah at one point calls out the king of Samaria, 
right? The very place they are for rejecting God. And the king says, you know, he sends these 50 soldiers to go get Elijah, who's just sitting up on this hill condemning the king. Uh, Go get him. And here's what they say to Elijah. They say, oh, man of God, the king says, come down. And Elijah's response is, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire came down from heaven and consumed them and all those soldiers. That's why they're making this request. We want to be like Elijah. We want to see this happen. Let's, these are our enemies. Let's just burn them all. Right? That, that's why they're making this request though. Right? They're, they're zealous. And, and that's good. The zeal. Right? But they're zealous without knowledge. Without charity. Right? Without, without the other aspects of the need. J.C. Ryle says, zeal without Without knowledge is an army without a general. In other words, it's going to cause a lot more damage than it is good. James and John lack charity. And, and you hear them doing this and you realize what's happening. And you kind of want to tell them, I, I love your passion for Jesus. But, but maybe, maybe could you be a little more passionate with, with, with your love for others, even our enemies? And, and you hear this, and, and I just kind of think that this must have broken Jesus' heart to hear James and John want to call down destruction on these Samaritans because they've just rejected them, right? As if, let's just call down God's judgment on them right now and destroy them. And I expect it broke his heart because Jesus' whole purpose is to come and to take the judgment on behalf of his people, which we learn later in the book of Acts that, you know, included many Samaritans, including possibly some of these very Samaritans that reject his disciples that come looking for help in this moment. And so Jesus not only rejects their request, right? Declined, no fire coming down from heaven, but he also rebukes them for even suggesting this idea. You see, there is a judgment coming. There is a time for judgment, but this was not the time for judgment. This was the time for mercy. Now is the time for mercy. And in John 3.17, we, we learn, well, just listen to this. It says, for, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. R.C. Sproul explains this a little further, saying, The day of woe will indeed come, but the difference between God and the disciples is the difference between a God who is slow to anger who is patient, gracious, and long-suffering, and sinful disciples who were quick to anger, impatient, and short-suffering. They were ready to bring swift and sudden destruction. And had they acted upon this, they would have been disloyal to their Lord that they were so zealous for to begin with. Now, unfortunately, church history, if you've looked at it much, you, you, you know, right? There, there's some shame we feel in some regard because church history is full of men who did act with zeal but not knowledge. Men who burned others, who hanged others, drowned others, beheaded others, killed them in all manners of ways you can possibly imagine, right? Those who were non-Christians and, and doing it all the while believing that they were doing the will of God. We find no grounds for this in the teaching of our Lord. Yes, judgment will come. It's a real thing. Something that people need to be warned about. But it will come in God's sovereign timing by the hand of the Lord. And so we we must today, Christians, be learning how to practice uh, patience well because we live in a culture 
Let's be honest, we live in a culture that increasingly rejects Christianity. But our response to that can never be this, this anger violence, or violent anger rather, right? And, and so, so as, as much as you might want to at times, right? Don't, don't, don't pray for God to call down fire and destroy that obnoxious atheist that's in your class, or, or, or the person who's mocking you know, biblical morals on TV. Or, you know, we, we're not asking God to, to, to just destroy the Muslim who hates you for being a Christian. Instead, as Christians, those who know the mercy of God, we, we, we pray for them. We pray for their redemption, that God might redeem them. As Daryl Bach says, to, to be a servant of the gospel is not to highlight judgment or long for execution, but to seek to save lives as long as God allows. Now, before we move on from this portion, I do want to real quick uh, remind you of one thing here. I, I do want you to know that John's bitter heart, this hatred for the Samaritans, it's later absolutely transformed. He, he remains just as zealous, but zealous, you know, uh, zealous for Jesus, right? He, he's not a harsh individual. And, and it's all because the grace of God comes into his life and, and changes him, right? The, the change in, in John is a work of God's grace. And, and God in his grace, if you find yourself to be a harsh individual, if you find yourself really wanting to call down fire in one form or another upon people who, uh, you know, you, you don't love the Lord. If, if, that, if you need that, go to the Lord and pray for change. He absolutely can do it. So let's, let's move on to this next section today. Um, we're putting these two uh, stories together. And, and here, right, um, here, here Jesus and his disciples, they leave the Samaritan village and they go on fo- forward. And quickly on the road, they come across three people who on some level are saying they want to be a follower of Jesus. They want to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and notice that in every, all three of these, we're going to see the word follow, right? That's the key word throughout this. Uh, and we're going to read each of these stories individually again just to keep them fresh in our mind. Uh, the first one's verses 57 and 58 there, uh, which read this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, him being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now let's, let's be honest for a second. The way Jesus does evangelism, we've seen this before, we'll probably see it many times again, is so often not like we do evangelism. If a friend of yours comes to you tomorrow and says, listen, I've been thinking about Christianity and Jesus and you've been talking to me about this. Uh, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm a Christian now. What are you going to say to that, that person? That, that girl, that guy, right? What are you going to say to them? Maybe, maybe something like, that's fantastic. Welcome to the family. I'm so excited. You know, let, you know let's, let's start reading the Bible together. Something along those ways, right? This guy comes to Jesus and pretty much says that, right? I, I'm here to follow you. I, I'm, I'm your disciple now. And what's Jesus' response? Foxes have holes... And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his, uh, his head. Not, not at all what you expect. I think most of us would correct him, right? We'd want to correct Jesus right here. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you've you got to know it's going to be really rough path at times. See, even the animals, they, they have homes and the birds have a place to sleep. But me and my disciples, we just got kicked out of a town. We left the town because nobody would help us. We have no place to sleep our head or lay our head and sleep tonight. That, that's our life. That's what he's getting at. 
How many of you know what a cakewalk is? Been on a cakewalk? I don't see those very often. I love cakewalks, and what's not to love about them, right? Um, I haven't seen one in a long time, so if you're younger, you've never done one. The way they work is you're walking in circle on these numbers on the ground, and music's playing, and when the music stops, you just look down, see what number you're on, and if someone calls your number, they, they hand you a cake, right? Or if it's a good cakewalk, they let you pick whatever cake you want. Um, that's how it works. It's easy. You get free cake. We like cakewalks. We want our life to be a cakewalk. But listen, following Jesus is not a cakewalk. No one's going to hand you cake. It's, it's not like that. It's not that easy, no matter how much we want. You know, in fact, it's, it's more like a walk to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and then back to the top in the middle of July sometimes. That's the reality of it. You're with Jesus, though. It's glorious, right? That, that's the reality. And Jesus knows this man right here. He hasn't properly considered what, 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 the, what the cost of following him will be, right? Or, or what Bonhoeffer will later you know, famously put it, or how he'll put it, the cost of discipleship. He hasn't really considered that. Have you? I mean, are, are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of the cost? Has that even been a question you asked? You see, Jesus has identified in this individual man a spiritual struggle, and he wants the man to know that, that following him won't be easy. Worth it? Yes. Easy? No. But particularly in this, this moment of history, right? And when I say this moment of history, I mean the exact moment that Jesus and him are having this conversation, right? It, it, it's going to look different for, for all of us, though, okay? Um, now, now, some of you, I, I know, some of us ha- have had, and we will continue to have, a life of absolute ease, right? Blessed with relatively good health, um, relative wealth, an encouraging family life. And, and if that's your life, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. It's God's sovereign will to give you that life if he so chooses. And so, you know, be grateful, but don't be ashamed. But also, don't let your love for that ease of life rob you of following Jesus in ways that might make your life a little less comfortable, a little more difficult at times. Others of us here have already faced great difficulty in our lives at times, struggles of all sorts, and that too is the life that the Lord has chosen to give you. Um, Both of these, though, are ways that we are called to follow Jesus in. Right? Love the Lord, not not the life that you might particularly be living right now. And and as you you think about that, I I do want you you asking yourself this question often, right? Has, Has following Jesus cost me anything? If you're one of those note takers, this is one of those things you write down, right? Is, has following Jesus cost me anything? Any discomfort, any, any of my finances, any, any of just, you know, it might be something as simple as just, you know, you're hanging out with some friends and you think, I really just want to talk to my friends. I haven't seen them in a while. I just want to hang out with them. But you know what? I, I need to go talk to that person over there because I need to tell them about Jesus eventually and I want to get to know them, right? Something like that. Following Jesus, right? I mean, has it, has it cost you anything? So we're going to move on to this, this next story, right? The one we just talked about is comfort in life is really at the heart of that story uh, and, and following Jesus. And the second one is about obligation, priorities, and you guessed it, following Jesus. So let's 
read verses 59 and 60. Uh, To another he said, he being Jesus, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know that, that moment when you're in a social situation that calls for a certain kind of interaction, right? And, and uh, someone says something that is so out of place, so kind of culturally weird, that, 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 that you, you kind of want to go bug-eyed and look to your friends to make sure, did you hear what I just heard? You heard that, right? Um, that, that's what's happening here. That, that's what's going on here. Jesus' statement, right, would have been shocking to anyone who heard it. Culturally speaking, it would have been considered rude by many people, right? Most people, particularly the person he said it to, probably received it that way. Now, I, I, don't, I, I do want you to understand that, that Jews in that day, um, Jewish people in that day, would bury their dead within 24 hours, right? And the son would have sat with the body of his father if his father was dead. Uh, and, and so don't picture this like it sounds immediately to us, right? Which is that your dad just died and he's gone out and talked to Jesus and Jesus says, forget that, come with me. Um, that's kind of what's going on, but it's not exactly what's going on. M- most likely, his father is not... Not dead yet. His father is ill or coming to the end of his life for one reason or another. He's in poor health. Uh, his death is imminent. And, and so the guy is saying something along the lines of, uh, my dad's going to die soon. Let me stay here, take care of him until he does, and then I'll bury him, and, and then I'll come follow you, right? Uh, but right now I got to talk to him, take care of my father, but I will totally follow you later. Something like that. And, and still, right, you know, it, it, it's weird that way. But Jesus' statement is also, you, you want to think of it in our terms, right? His, his, you know, someone's dad, you have a friend, his dad's nearing death, and, and you know it. And, and someone else, and Jesus just says, you know what? Someone else in your family can take care of your dad right now. You, you're coming with us. We're going to Papua New Guinea. We're going to proclaim the gospel there. So come on. Right? And, 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 and we'd probably be like, that's incredibly rude. He needs to take care of his dad. Jesus, shame on you. Um, that, that's kind of the response we had, right? That, that wouldn't be received well. But remember, Jesus knows this man's heart in a way that you and I probably wouldn't know. Wouldn't know for sure. And, and he knows the guy says, you know, what, he, what he's saying is that he wants to follow Jesus. But, but here this guy is also really having conditions, right? Like, like he wants to negotiate the terms of his discipleship. And we see that when he uses that word there in verse 59, the word first, right? That, that tells us what his first priority is. But, but it's also telling us that he's refusing to obey Jesus immediately. Right? Jesus is saying, come now with us. Come follow me now. Any of you ever been the child or told a child, you know, um, turn off the Nintendo, we've got to go. And only to hear them say, what do they typically say? What do you have to do first? Finish the level, something like that. Can I first just do this, right? Let me finish the level first. And, and you hear that and you think, well, on some level, that's reasonable. They've been working on this level. You don't want to start at the beginning again. Like, let the kid finish it, uh, right? But, but it's also a failure to obey immediately. But, but, but how reasonable is that child's response if, if I told you we're going to miss the plane if we wait for him to finish this level? Right? Suddenly it's a less reasonable thing. And, and that's actually closer to the situation going on here. Because when Jesus is calling this man to follow him, there's a very literal sense to it, right? It's the way we follow Jesus, yes. But it's also very literal because they're on the road to Jerusalem right now. 
And this guy's like, I would, I would come with you, but I have stuff I got to do. And he's saying, no, come now, come now. And Jesus isn't asking the man to be, you know, to sinfully dishonor his father, but rather he's highlighting this fact that when, when two very important priorities come head to head, Jesus or family, like we don't ever want to see those come head to head, but when they do, following Jesus must still be the top priority if we're to be his true disciples. And that's why Jesus says what he says. Did you also catch that's a pun there in verse 60? It's not a very funny one, but it is a pun. Uh, Look at it. Jesus means spiritually dead and physically dead when he uses the word the dead there. He's saying, "Let let the spiritually dead go bury the physically dead. But you obey me now, right? You go proclaim the gospel. You see, Jesus' point is that, you know, with this response was that someone else in your family can care for your father because... Anyone can do that. But not anyone can go and preach the gospel. Only a true disciple can. And and Jesus is calling him to follow him and to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So in many ways, Jesus is laying down the gauntlet when he's asking this man, right? He's asking him this, this, this question. Am I more important to you than your father? And we don't want to answer that to him. You might remember when Jesus called the disciples, particularly Peter, James, and John, back in Luke 5.11, we learned that they left everything and they followed Jesus, right? They were on their boats. I think they were mending nets at the time. And they just leave and follow Jesus. One of the things we might forget is that in Matthew 4.22, we learned that John and James also left their father, sitting there mending nets when they obeyed Jesus to follow him immediately. So now, we've got to be careful at applying this, right? Because in our context, sometimes truly following Jesus requires us to actually give more time to our immediate family, to our extended family, not less time. Other, other times, it might mean that we need to go someplace uh, away from our family members. That's not easy to do. Uh, you'll know we have the, the missionaries, right? Zach and Ellie, and they're about to go to what we call East Asia. Um, that's when you can't say where they're going. And they have these amazing families here in Kansas. They're incredibly close to that they would love to stay near to. But for the sake of proclaiming the kingdom to people who need to hear it and don't have many people uh, there to share it with them, they are going to be leaving these families. Sadness. And, and, and yet they are following the Lord with this call they have particular to their life. It doesn't mean you have to. But if you ever have that call, you ought to. Now, it, it, it's... It's difficult, right, to do these kind of things, but it's, it's good because remember, you know, especially going like, like the Zach and Ellie are doing, because one of the clearest obligations we have as Christians, obligations from the Lord, is to fulfill the Great Commission. So we want to give that a priority. Now, how we make Jesus the top priority in our life is going to take discernment, right? There's not one answer that says do this. It's going to take some discernment. But uh, you do need to go into this question always, right? Determined in our hearts that Jesus will indeed be the true priority. And then to flesh out what that means. And, and I know, you know, this guy wanted to delay it. If you're here and you're wondering about Jesus, do not delay. Don't, don't try to negotiate the terms of your discipleship. 
You know, don't foolishly say you'll follow Jesus after college or after you get married or after some job or after anything at all, this or that. Follow Jesus today. All right, we've got one more today. Um, we're going to look at this last would-be disciple. It's real similar to this previous one. It begins in verse 61. Follow along as I read. <clears throat> and another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So for one, all three of Jesus' responses are really interesting. And by interesting, I mean weird. Uh, this one is no different. Um, but you kind of get the sense that this guy heard that last exchange, right? Like, okay, don't go bury your father. Don't hang out. Um, and, and so he's saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm not waiting for anyone to die. This is quick, real quick. Uh, I just want to say goodbye, you know, give my mom a kiss, my dad a hug. Uh, you know, and I don't know when I'm going to see him again. And, and then I'll come follow you pretty quickly. And, and again, it, it seems reasonable to us on some level because he's not asking much. That can't possibly take too much time, right? However, listen to the man again, only let's leave out the reason he gives. And in verse 61, he says, I will follow you, Lord, but... That word, but... In each of these stories, we're learning that following Jesus is this massive calling, and it ought to be our first priority, our top priority. Right? If we see nothing else in these three, we're seeing... The, the supreme priority of Jesus over everything else. And so this, this calling of Jesus to this would-be disciple then is, is really similar to the story in the Old Testament. Um, this theme here seems to be with Elijah. You see, uh, there's this call of a guy named Elisha. These two names together are not easy to deal with because he's called by the prophet Elijah. Uh, and it's recorded in 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So Elijah is walking and he goes by this man who's plowing a field, right? With two oxen and pulling the thing behind it uh, and such. And as he passes him, Elijah goes and puts his cloak on Elijah, right? Uh, and this means something, right? It's kind of like a duck, duck, goose. When you get tapped, right? Your job's to get up and follow after that person as fast as you can. That's what putting the cloak on was supposed to do. You're going to come be my assistant, you know, I'm going to train you up to be a prophet of the Lord, uh, that he was called to follow. Well, here's what Elisha does. He asks, can I go back and kiss my parents goodbye? Sound familiar? Elijah, or Elijah allows it. And so here Elijah goes back, or Elisha goes back, and he does the oddest thing. He kills those two oxen, he cooks them, and then he feeds them the people, and then he goes and follows Elijah, Right? Weird. Here's what's going on. By eating the oxen, he's making this huge statement of the commitment he's making to follow after Elijah and ultimately to follow after the Lord, right? Because not only is he willing to follow, but he is, he is what we would say in our culture, burn the bridges behind him. There's nothing to go back to. The farm's done. I've just eaten the, the oxen, right? It's, it's over at that point. And so there's nothing for him to go back to at that point. He's saying, I, I am done with farming forever. I am so committed to, to what you've just called me to. Now, Elijah allowed the guy to go back. But Jesus says, again, right, one of the stranger things we hear him say. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
Now, there's some parallels with Elijah's story, but the, the main point's not really a parallel there, right? It kind of do, it goes to a different direction at this point. The, the, the point of that statement is that to plow with an oxen, right, in those days, if you want to make a straight uh, plowing thing, the idea was you focus on something in the distance and keep, keep heading towards that. You don't, you don't look backwards. I mean, you probably know. When's the last time someone's on a bike? You ever see what happens when you look backwards? You start to swerve off one way or the other, right? That's the way it goes. I, I can still remember as a kid, we'd be on these family vacations in our suburban, right, with, with no seatbelts on because no one ever wore seatbelts back then. Uh, and there'd be that moment on the trip when we were arguing with each other and dad would turn around and his arm would be halfway back there. And, and he'd use one of those lines that every parent in the 80s seemed to know, right? What do, what do they say? If you don't something, I will turn this car around. That's right. Uh, that's what he says, right? And, and my dad couldn't see it because he's looking at us, you know, red in the face, but the three of us could see it. Dad, we are definitely not in our lane anymore. Like, we will be good. Just drive on our side of the road. Uh, it, you know, that's kind of what happens when you look back. And, and so if we're to be disciples who are following Jesus, then our, our eyes and our hearts must be looking forward to the one that we're following, looking forward to Jesus. Whereas J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, it's impossible to serve Christ with a divided heart. So we focus on the Lord. Now I want to try to bring this to a close, all three of these, and, and start with this. There's a question here. Do these guys, do they follow after Jesus? Was the first man willing to be homeless so he could be a disciple of Jesus? Was, was the second man willing to let someone else take care of his father's physical needs so that he could go and claim the gospel like Jesus has called him to do? Did the third man go kiss his mother goodbye or... That he get in with the, with the disciples and follow Jesus immediately. And we never hear the answer to those questions. And that's just as well, really. Because what Jesus wants us to see ourselves in these stories. To, to teach us that his call on your life and my life is, is not just to believe certain theological truths. It's not merely to practice some you know, morally right actions. Jesus' call is to follow him to truly make Jesus our highest priority in our life. See, these stories should challenge us, challenge us to evaluate whether our own allegiance to Jesus is divided or whether it is truly has Christ as number one. And so whether they, they go or not, we don't know, right? But what we do know is this. We know that Jesus keeps going. We know that Jesus goes to Jerusalem. We know that Jesus keeps going to the cross. We know that Jesus goes to the resurrection and to the ascension and to the salvation that he secures for me and for you and for any and everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ with faith. We know he keeps going. That's, that's the one we want to follow. Last thing, Ligon Duncan once said, it's a pretty profound statement, I think. He says, salvation is the free gift that cost you everything. See, as you think on your own life in, the, in this area, you know, where, 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 you know, you think in your life, is there an area in your life where if Jesus were, were standing there physically before you and having this conversation and, and speaking to you, would he, would he say, would he ask you this question, am, am, I, am I more important than that? Is there any area in your life where the Lord would say that to you? Right? Sinful practices or thoughts you keep holding on to? Has family or career become an idol to you? Even those of you in ministry, even ministry success 
can wrongly take priority over simply following Jesus as Lord. See, sometime this week, I, I want you to do something. I'm serious. I know sometimes you throw out these things and you're like, I will totally do that. I'm not doing that. Um, right? There's no turning it back in or grading. But I, I want you to do this. I really want you to go and just list off your priorities in as great as detail as you possibly can. Right? God, spouse, kids, extended family, work, baseball, knitting, online gaming, whatever it is, right? Just as much detail as you possibly can. And then I want you to, to, to think about this passage, and I want you to pray to the Lord and ask the Lord if, this, if your list is as it should be. And maybe more importantly, once you're confident in that first part, is are there changes that I need to make in my life to truly make following Jesus the top priority? So that it looks, so that my life looks like this list that I'm saying it should look like. Right? Because Christ must be our top priority. That's, that's what life is ultimately about. Right? We, we have these vocations, whatever it might be, homemaker, engineer, scientist, teacher, soldier, student, whatever it might be. You know, no matter your vocation, the, the true and the highest calling of your life is to glorify God. And so let us... Let us go with Jesus, never looking back to what we've left to follow Him, knowing that what is good is the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, speak in our hearts so that we might follow You, even if the way is not comfortable, even if it costs us stuff that we long for. Right? Even... Even if we find ourselves loving other things, Lord, we ask that you would restructure our hearts to to seek after you as the top priority. No matter how difficult those choices might be. In short, Lord, teach us and enable us to follow you wholeheartedly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.